Stay tuned. Coming up now is Pomo Perspective with Michael Hunter. And good morning, Michael. Are you there? Yeah, good morning. Good morning. That song uh, always pumps me up a little bit. (laughs) It's called (laughs) Land Back by the Hallucination. (laughs) Oh, really? Yeah, so so appropriate. It seems appropriate. Yes, definitely. I dig it. Hey, before we get started, I'm here on a. I came and watched Revolution last night in Avila Beach, Avila Beach. I'm going to say it that well. And I'm out walking, so if you guys hear noise, a lot of it's ocean, but just people walking by, too. But there's this chevron, like, right at the end of the beach, and it's closed down. When I first started coming here, I asked my dad, I said, man, what? Hey, they have a chevron, like, right there? And he said, well, they closed it down because they had a leak. They had a big leak, a massive spill here, and I guess 30 years ago, not even that long ago, like 30 years ago or something, that it was all full of oil. It took out all the businesses, and they just haven't. They just started to return like 10 to 15 years ago or something. The town. It's kind of. Um, it's not really about our story, but the irony of it, you know, for me and the topics that we talk about, like we're going to talk about, give an update on the Jackson demonstration state forest. And Alicia is going to give an update more maybe from the perspective that a, uh, a county citizen would be viewing it from or someone um, looking at it from that angle. And then you have myself where I look from the tribal angle. So a lot of times I'm not even caught up on what's happening outside my angle and my story, what's going on, because I'm implementing my story. So as I was walking this ocean, I wanted to tell you guys a little bit about that because what I see now I think this is what I see in legislation as I'm, legislators, as I'm starting to pay, you know, I just did testimony last week on some water rights on how Coyote Valley is last in the seniority uh, to receive water, even though Lake Mendocino is on their land that this county board of supervisors terminated, right? The irony. So I was giving testimony in Sacramento on how tribes need to be at the top of the seniority list. This makes sense. The, the first residence, not the first business, right? So I started to, um, well, kind of got lost in that one. So I was just trying to share where I'm at, what we're going to be given, the story we're going to be telling. And Alicia, do you think it's best if you go first? Because I think you could help stage the conversation better than I could. Yeah, well, so I did a little, you asked me to do a little research on what sort of the latest news is um, in Jackson Demonstration State Forest. And so uh, there was an article in, um, by the way, this is Alicia Bales here at the Controls uh, Engineering for Pomo Perspective this morning. And Michael is calling in from Avila Beach, you said? Yeah, I call it, I call it um, California's Maui. Oh, really? Where is it? Oh, it's the best. It's, near, it's between Morro Bay and Pismo Beach. Now, Pismo Beach is foggy and cold, it seems like, all the time. But Avila, because it has this little microclimate over here, the fog goes around it. It's a trip, and it's really sunny and nice here. It's like my favorite town in California. Wow. How far from Mendocino is it? Oh, it took us like six hours. So it's pretty far from south. Kaya. Yeah, 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 it is. It's, it's, I think it's like about an hour, maybe an hour and a half, maybe, yeah, an hour and a half um, 
north of Santa Barbara like that. And then oh, got Maybe it. between Monterey and Santa Barbara like that. Okay, so a little geography lesson for the Southlands from where you're yeah, call, yeah. calling in. Oh, wait, no, wait. I remember, though, but I was talking about the legislators. Yes. So when I did testimony, yeah. And so when I did testimony, I realized the people, like our legislators, they're good people. They do care. They, they have empathy. And the words they were saying, the things they were saying, it made me feel better. Well, it made me feel better about our assembly person and our senator, to be honest. You no, know, that's good. Because ours has been so absent, and they just don't even care. You know, like, I've sent them letters saying we want to co-manage. Like, they won't even support a co-management agreement, yet they say we, we have to have tribes take the lead. You know, she won't even sit down with Coyote Valley, you know, or promote the co-management agreement we gave for Cal Fire and Jackson Demonstration State Force. But I think these people want to do what's right. They just don't know what to do, and they're embarrassed to tell people that they don't know what to do. Uh-huh. So we have to figure out a way to do their homework, leave it in their backpack, and act like they didn't walk away, and then they could go be proud <laughs> of it, you know? That's what we got to do, you know? Michael, so anyway, where did you testify? So, where was the actual building? Was it in Sacramento? Well, Alicia, I give you a lot of credit for this, because radio is one thing, and taking questions, but I, in Sacramento, you know, it's like a lot of cameras, Everybody's in suits, and when you give that testimony, a lot of people behind you, and then there's the legislators in front of you. We're in Sacramento; they have this new Senate and Assembly building over there, and it's um, it could be nerve wracking. And for me, I do it because I want to share my tribe story and on what happened with water. That's important to me, and then I, I do it because I want to challenge myself. And man, I get that nerves, but I don't want to read. I want to go up there and talk with about the issue that I know so well that I don't need to read it, you know? So I put a lot of planning, reading. But it was on, um, it was really a good subcommittee, a crossover for, I messed this up, but it was for water, wildlife, and I believe forestry as well. I think it's that committee that's overall. So I'm starting to get to know the chair, let them understand who I am. So when I go meet with them again, they'll remember me. So I want to be rememberable. So when I go talk to them about our issue, that they remember and they focus, you know, so they're going to engage. <clears throat> so now we have the chair of that. And then we had the first assemblyman, Native American, California Native American assemblyman, his name's James Ramos. That's my good friend. And he helps me a lot. Keep in mind, I had to go to my own Senator McGuire, my own assemblyman Wood, my own Congressman Huffman. I wrote them letters. They call me back. They call them. I call them. They don't call back. They, I have to go to my brother. And it's a good thing we finally have Native American representation. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> or else maybe we would have never been at the table. I have to go to my brother and say, hey, this is what's happening to my Pomo homeland. This is what's happening to our sacred sites. You know, because I have to come from that angle, right? And so, what? And then they get you to the table. And now when you finally have an assemblyman that looks like you and, and is Native American and standing right there, they don't lie to you so much, you know? You know, so it's kind of little, you get a lot of more um, leverage when you're at that table wow. with that person. So he got me there. You know, one of these days we're going to have to honor him. Maybe we'll do a, I was thinking about doing a Pomo Land Bat kind of celebration, but we really haven't won yet, you know. Yeah. We haven't signed documents, so. But I want to do something September 20th, I think it's September, Sunday, the last Sunday of September. Because that's Native American Day, it's that Friday. And I was thinking about trying to get something going in our community to where I could bridge the Pomo people 
and the non-Indians from the coastal side. They, the coastal side people are way cooler than inland. <laughs> There's a lot of good inland people, <laughs> but the coastal side of people are just way friendly. Or let me tell you this, they like Native Americans, and they're interested in the ones around them. So, you know, so you might as well be around people that are interested in you. And so we go, I want to get the Pomo tribes over there, walking in the forest, enjoying themselves, and call that an intertribal big time. I want to try to make it an annual deal, you know. That's my goal. We'll wow, you guys see it this great. year? I know. I think so too. I've I've been working on it a lot, like where, how to do it. So I'm just waiting for my one friend to tell me if it's a go or not, because he has some fancy property. A, ba- a coastal big know? time with Pomo tribes. Yeah, wouldn't that be sick? Yeah, totally. It would, it would, it would be good. intertribal. Yeah, because I want to invite the uh, our Aztec dancers that went to the rally with us in Sacramento. And our out-of-state dancers, our drummers. Remember the ones that went to the rally in Sacramento? Yes, they were they were yeah. awesome. Yeah, so I want to make sure that you know. Then I want to make sure that Round Valley and Point Arena, the other ones that participated, that it's theirs, you know, to celebrate the ones that did the work. Yeah. Anyway, that's where we're at. And that's the fun we're having here, and I'm I'm really really enjoying this whole new angle. When I gave testimony and I was done. I felt like, I felt very, um, um, gosh, uh, accomplished, you know? Like, yeah. Yeah, I feel like I did it. I did it good, you know? And then when I walked out, I was like, dude, I did that pretty good. Because I did one before, and I was horrible. Oh, really? I, like, I could have been, yeah, I wasn't prepared. I was like, dude, you could have been way more prepared. And now that you and I do what we do, and you help me and the things we're doing, I, I know how to get prepared now, uh-huh. you know? I walk around in the forest and talk to myself out loud, and that's where nobody thinks I'm crazy because nobody else is out there but me. <laughs> the trees are eavesdropping. They're like, hmm, good point, Michael. <laughs> I don't think they're eavesdropping. I'm talking to them. You know? we're, not, <laughs> we're beyond eavesdropping. That was the first phase. <laughs> yeah, now I'm talking to them. Like, one time I was out there, I really do talk to them, and, and I sing to them, and I... I sing with them in my mind. I'm not singing to them. You know? I feel like we're all singing together, to be honest. And so I started getting out there, and I'm singing, and I'm having a good time. And I started singing some songs, Indian songs, you know, and uh, just for fun, not, not ceremonial ones, just fun ones. And um, I had to stop, and I looked around. I was like, man, is anybody watching me? <laughs> you know? <clears throat> and then no more than, like, 30 seconds, I just said, ah, let's take a break. And I started walking about 30 seconds, and a dude walks by with his dog out of the middle of nowhere. <clears throat> and I was like, dude, I knew somebody was watching. Huh. Somebody could hear me that whole time. Yeah. It kind of kind of made me think twice again about talking so loud out loud and singing so loud, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. But you had a feeling. I've heard that, like, animals um, kind of listen. There's, like, sort of a, a sound network out there, and you can tell if somebody's coming because the birds will make certain noises or, you know, whatever. Maybe you just had an intuitive sense from what was going on out there that someone was on his way. I think I had that every time I go out there. You know how when you're walking in a trail for a long time and and then there's the trees to the right and to the left, you know, your right shoulder, left shoulder type of deal? And I would stop and I would stare in those forests and I would look deep and take my time to really study to see if I could see something different in there, you know, like an animal. Because I'd be nervous, you know. Like, I better make sure none of these mountain lions are stalking me, right. you know. You know, just thinking like that. But I, but now it's a little bit different. Now I'm familiar. 
I learned that to get over a lot of my anxieties. I, see, this is one thing people don't understand is when you're, well, me, my experience, raised in a small community in a reservation, it's, um, you have a lot of things there. You have all your family. You have your homes. You have, that's where you eat, where you wake up. Your transportation is parked there. You, it, um, a lot of the jobs are like in Mendocino County. Some people would like to go work for the county. Like I heard uh, one of my friends say that. I said, wow, I, he, I never, ever thought about working for the county. But then I thought about it. I go, well, of course not. I want to work for my tribe, my county, my government, my people. Right. And I think when I start <clears throat> to get out there and get more comfortable, become familiar with areas and do those kind of things, I get more confident and in, in more than just one perspective, more than just, you know, learning how to socialize, but really how to take it a next step. So, like, what am I going to do next time I come here? What am I going to do the following time? I want to push myself to really, really challenge myself. And I find for the first time in my life, I find people interesting. I never found them interesting because the people really weren't nice in this community to my reservation people. Not me as I grew up either, you know? So I just give an example of, of little things that I went through in my life, but it made me tough. That's the difference. It made me tough and I knew how to battle and get through. So maybe it does help you. I don't know. It's don't interesting know. to think just, about that where the, the culture, the sort of dominant culture around the, your smaller culture is like so hostile and weird that you sort of get a sense as you're growing up that the world is a hostile place, and it gives you yeah. a smaller sort of sense of what you can do in the world, I think, it sounds like. Right, it did. It made me, well, you don't even know it <clears throat> until you're in an area that's so unfamiliar, and there's a lot of partying going around, you know, not partying, but like a, like a farmer's market. It's just, it's live, you know, there's people laughing, smiling. It could, it could do a lot. It could make you nervous. It makes you introvert. That's why you see people posting these about being introvert. You know, it does all those things to you. It did them to me. It just turns out I wasn't an introvert too. I was just secluded. Maybe I had a whole different worldview, a whole different worldview than everybody else. You know, I don't, it's, it's still, I still try to discover who I'm trying to become and try to tell it on the radio. And sometimes I get a little you know, you know, I need your help, Alicia. Tell me what it is. <laughs> Tell me what I'm doing out here. You know? Well, I don't yeah. think your experience is um, necessary. I don't think you're the only one who has your experience. I think it's really helpful to hear what you're saying, especially as somebody who appears so incredibly confident and outgoing. You're, you're the leader of your tribe. You're a leader of the state uh, tribal sort of network. There's dozens of tribes across the state that you work with and are a leader within that state infrastructure as well and still you struggle with this stuff you know or i don't know if you yeah. struggle but it's something that you think about and reflect on and really have to push yourself to get you know out of this sense of having to hunker down to protect yourself you know as a young person that you grew up with and it's it's just like you know i think i think the one of the words that i've heard to describe what you're talking about is microaggressions like you're you're out in the world and you're getting this like hostility that's sometimes so subtle or maybe not subtle but you can't even name it you know and but it's just like all around you all the time and and I think for you know privileged white people 
it's hard to even conceive that your whole reality would tell you that you don't have opportunities or you can't be, you know, you can't live the best life or, or pursue the things that you're really good at because the world treats you badly. Like there aren't opportunities oh, sure. and doors flying open for you and scholarships and, you know, like right. all of this stuff that is telling you you're good and you can accomplish and you can make an impact, you know, in the larger society. It's like, you know, it's incredible that you are aware of that and then make the steps to well, push out. through it. I think I'm aware. I think I could see both angles because in my world where I'm at, my mom accomplished it. So we were winning my whole life, you know, like I was seeing leadership. I seen homes go up, gymnasium, swimming pool for my, you know, for our community. Me, I was a kid, you know, growing up swimming and all this stuff she went and did, you know, and, and with others, other uh, tribal leaders on our tribe as well. And so for me, I learned how to win. I learned, I learned how to win in my world. So for me in my world, it, I had, it was just, uh, I could go anywhere. I could go to the roughest reservation and fit in because I've been around all of them, you know, for my whole life. I know who, I know when it's time to leave, when it's time to get out of that person's story, you know, but I also know how to play the government. I know how to get, you know, grant approved. I also know how to push legislation, policy, you know, all those things. So my world, I was doing it. It's just when I got out here, what it really started when I went back to college, I, I put teachers so high because that's where I failed so hard. And all I realized was there were better readers and better writers than me, and they knew math better than me. And once I learned those, I was just like, oh, well, that's easy. Now what, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> so when I started challenging myself in this other world, I thought that non-Indians must be so great, because all I did was learn about them in school. They must be so great. They invented everything. And when I started to really learn was, Oh, no. They cut down all your resources. Mm -hmm. They extracted everything. They took your backyard from you and gave it away. And now you ha now we have locals fighting for a little bit of timber when we had, when we owned the timber industry. You know, so now I go, no, it was the pioneers that gave it all up too fast, too easy. Mm -hmm. I mean, worked ourselves out of jobs. My uncles were working the mills, you know, worked the, we worked ourselves out of a, we worked ourselves out of a resource we could have really managed appropriately and possibly. We could have been one of the richest counties ever. Instead, we clear-cut it and let, let, let all these trees go so cheap. So then I started learning to become more confident. And I was just like, no, I think I could go in any room and, uh, and match with these people. But now I'm on the social level of it, too. And the social level is the one that still gives me anxiety. This day, but let me give an example of things I go through that maybe others wouldn't. If I'm in a nice hotel, I was in Hawaii at a nice hotel, but I wear a tank top, not knowing that rich people don't wear tank tops. I didn't know this stuff, you know? And so I'm just walking around the way I wear, board shorts and a tank top. So I must look like a local. I'm a brown dude. So I get asked things like, hey, uh, hey, you staying with us? Can I help you? They, they do it in a roundabout way. They're not really saying, hey, do you, are you staying with us? They go, what do they say? Hey, how you doing? Can I help you? If, if you're staying with us, I'd like to show you around. They, they say things like that. Mm -hmm. They want you to answer whether you're staying there or not, you know? And it's the nice way of telling you to get out of here. That's why I took it anyway. And um, it wasn't until, like, I'll give you another one. Like, uh, 
here's a blatant one. I was in Tahoe. This stuff happens. I was in Tahoe, and I'm at this corner of the street, me and Stephanie, and she's full butt by you, you know? And I understand why I don't look Indian, because I'm mixed, like, to the mix. And I'm, and I'm taller, you know? And um, this band drives by, and they start yelling, America, America, you know? And, I'm, and I just repeat it, America, America. I put my hands up like I do them, hallelujah, Jesus, you know? Hey, America, I do that right back at him, like, these dummies. But I got to be careful, because what if those guys, I knew I could t- take two of them, you know? But what if a bunch of them jumped out or knives or guns? You never know what this world's coming to. And Steph's telling me this. She's like, Mikey, you can't do that because you have me here. And I'm like, ah. So even at this age, walking through Tahoe or even nice areas, these are things that, little things, they don't, they don't bother me because I don't let the people bother. Actually, I'm glad they do it so I can tell the story. I could tell them, you know, look at this is how these fools act, you know. But, but here's one that really started me in high school. This is the one that made me realize that if I wanted opportunity, it couldn't be in Ukiah. So there was this, there was this uh, shop that sold art, paintings and stuff. I don't even know why they did, because that, that, that business closed like in a year. And it was right there by Rayleigh's, that shopping market. So if any of you guys know that area, there's this guy. So I go in to apply. I know to dress nice because my grandpa and grandma... And we would travel a lot to powwows, and it would be 2 in the morning. We'd go in a hotel. They'd wipe my face up, put me a clean shirt on, make sure I looked good. And, I, and they would say, we dress you up because these people in here expect us Indians to look dirty. We have to change their, per- their perception on us, you know. That's why I, I learned that. People are watching you. We're one of few, so we speak louder. So people will stereotype us and judge us. So I was taught this, you know. <clears throat> so I go in. I said, hey, I'd like to get this job. He says, oh, I'm sorry. We, we already filled the position. I said, oh, no worries. Okay. About a week later, I look. I'm looking for jobs, right? Um, it's still open. So I go back and, hey, I uh, just wanted to check to see if this was still open. I seen it in a newspaper and I brought it in. I'm naive, you know. I really think he, maybe the dude quit or something, you know, or maybe he forgot he had it posted. And I was a kid. And I go back in. He goes, oh, no, we just filled that yesterday. And I was like, um, you said last week you filled it. And so I was just thinking, going, huh. But I never really thought about it. And it wasn't until I started managing myself, you know, like 20 years later or something, when I'm managing. <clears throat> and when you post ads in these newspapers, it costs a lot of money. So I was like, dude, he wasn't, dude, that, that little business wasn't losing, paying this much to put it in the newspaper to not um, have it available you know so that was my first one and then it verified it later on in life and i was like ah that's dogs oh they, they, didn't, they didn't even want me to work there you know so i go through those little things or like if i'm walking around a nice neighborhood security will come up and talk to me every single time wow you know yeah all the time even on reservations me and my buddy did we're walking out in this because we're at a cash creek casino my, they're good people but we're walking out we're not trying to stay inside and gamble. That's not our deal. We're there for work. You know, so we're out there walking, cruising around, and this guy comes out in the middle of nowhere. And we're standing in the middle of nowhere. And he says, hey, hey. I say, hey, how you doing? Oh, we're, I'm doing good. Why would I be doing good, he says. I'm like, what the? weird already. And he says, well, we can't have you guys walking around out here. He goes, it's dangerous. And I go, I looked around. I go, dude, we've been out here for about a half hour, and you're the only car I've seen. And he's off. Well, uh, it's just policy. 
I said, hey, no worries, brother. I understand. You're just, you're just implementing policy. But tell that fat dude up there that wrote that that doesn't like to get outside and walk that he was wrong on this one because people should be outside walking. He goes, well, you can work out in the gym. We want to be outside, you know. But we have to, you have to still talk to these people and tell them how ignorant they are. But without them getting so mad that you wind up with your hands behind your back or looking stupid, you know. So those things, that just happened like a month ago, just so you know, on the reservation. Yeah. Nonstop. Anyway, that's, but I enjoy those encounters now because I'm learning and I'm able to talk to them and tell on them on the show. If it wasn't for you, Lisa, I'd probably get mad and fight people. <laughs> oh, well, but I'm like, no. I no, would get I'm mad and wait. fight I'm people. Gonna, <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm going to wait and I'm going to tell on you guys on our Como Perspective show. That's it, what I'm going to do. It sounds like a yeah. lot of policing. Like, you know, just like, you can't go here. You can't go here. Are you supposed to be here? Are you, you know, can't work here. You can't do this. You can't go there. Right. And so when I go places where people tell me I can't do stuff, I'm already at level nine on it. I'm like, dude, no, hey, hey, nobody's telling me what to do today. And, but most people say, you should have more tolerance. I'm like, well, I did until dude started yelling America at me <laughs> yesterday, you know? <laughs> today, I'm just a little less tolerant. I'm tolerant, but not of that. Yeah, I know. So it's a wild me, world. Let me reintroduce the show. It's Pomo Perspective. This is our <laughs> third Monday morning of the month. Uh, public affairs show. Michael Hunter is the host. I'm Alicia Bales, engineering here at the board. And Michael's calling in from Avila Beach. Yeah, Maui in California. Nice. Hey, we better we better turn this. That was fun. Thank you for taking me down that little memory lane. Because it's important that locals know what happens to, you know, others and why it makes it hard for people to go. You'll fit it in, you know. Right. Hey, if there's anyone out there listening who ever has some urge to yell "America" at a couple America. of native people walking, just minding their own business, walking down the street, hey, just don't, don't do that. Right. That's and just now they dumb. Have this, now they have a saying called, and it's actually a nonprofit, California Native American. <laughs> <laughs> and it's not Indian. She's just like, quit, man. No, no good. You know, they, they want to take your, they, like these kind of groups, this is their sponsor for Catholic stuff. They want to take your existence away. You know what I mean? And, and for, and change their circle to believe that they are the first people. It's, it's really wild. And they actually paid for Suna Paracera, or I might say this dude's name wrong. So he has a statue. Um, he was a priest, he had a statue in Sacramento on at the Capitol, and then somebody broke it down back in those mirrors whenever it was going wild. And so we just looked at it, and these guys are the one that sponsored these statues. And I'm like, you mean it's like a settler group that's like, hey, group. we're yeah. the California natives. We're the first white people. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. It's weird. It's wild. And they're organized. Yeah. And then wow. they tried to go and get, they tried some of these, not most of these, but some try to get in and become recognized as tribes. I, like, we know of it. Like, we just had a meeting with all our California Competition Association Executive Board to talk about this issue, how legislators, non-Indians, are sanctioning non-tribal entities to be called state-recognized tribes. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Anytime the state's recognizing you, to me, means you already lost. Because... How are you sovereign if the sovereign state is the one that's recognizing you? Weird. And so, but, right, really weird. And they work on statues. Isn't that wild? 
and they work on policy. It's just crazy. It's wild. But remember, the people there are pretty empathetic. So they're good. Uh, I feel like they're good. they're good people. But the like the legislators, people. you mean? Because you you, yeah. were, you were talking earlier about um, being testifying at the water hearing and and feeling like you know these people they're empathetic they they're listening they're good people what makes you what what gives you that feeling when you're testifying that 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 those guys that the legislators who are listening to you are are good because everybody could say the right words but i felt like these people looked like the people that i hang out with on the coast like 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 you alicia they looked they looked like people that weren't trying to impress anybody. They really want to learn, you know. And when you're when you have a gavel, you're sitting up there. Sometimes you're trying to impress your audience, you know. And, and these ones were more. They were they wanted to hear. And so when we talk, they ask good questions. Because anybody that can ask good questions that can actually take a conversation deeper, especially when it's a conversation on uh, issues. Um, we, we're looking for those people. People want to be engaged with each other, you know? So if you're like, right now, there's a cop behind me. Guarantee the dude just pull. I'm in the middle of nowhere, just so, so you know. Like, we all know we'll pull out watch. We'll see if he comes to me. There's a cop no. behind you right now? Yeah. Oh, my just, gosh. How's it going? How are you? Good. They just, they just come to make sure the fence is locked. <laughs> like you would have locked every day. Uh. <laughs> That's how it is for me. But, you know, that could just be me, too. Maybe the fence was unlocked one time. I don't know. I highly doubt it, right? Whoa. I mean, come on. It's a major like, fence. It's been locked for every time I came up here. <laughs> we're, we're on the radio. You're talking about all these incidents of daily being policed, and a police officer walks up right now while you're on the radio. <laughs> pulls up. CHP pulls up Great. to check the lock on the gate that I'm assuming has been locked for 100 years, is all I'm saying. You know, it's just funny. And then they drive off. And it's just to say hi to me. To let you know that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I get it. I'm cool with it. Dude, that's the world the is safe cool from Michael Hunter. Well, I'm cool with it because I get an opportunity, and it wasn't always like this, but I get an opportunity to let them know that that I was a nice guy. Hey, how you doing, brother? You see me say hi. I'll be the first one they say mm-hmm. hi all the time. Hey, how you doing? Because I want them to know that the brown dude ain't a threat. So if... You know, because a lot of times, maybe their experience is is people that look like me are a threat. Huh. Well, I don't know where they work. You know, they might be in an area where it's like that, you know. And so they see me. They, you, you can't help but assume it. Ten years you've been working in the force. Now you're supposed to think I'm different, you know. And so I get it. And so my job, I feel, is always to prove them different. But remember, my grandma and grandpa taught me that. Mm-hmm. We have to prove them different. So my grandma and them already knew the stereotypes. So they're telling me how to work through those and prove people wrong. Mm-hmm. Ah, man, I wish I would have really paid attention more then, you know? Just coming around now. Ah, I'm so late to the game. All in good time. Yeah. All in good time. takes a long time to grow up. It's weird. Uh, it, think, it takes a long time to reflect and be able to talk about it. Yeah. And I'd like to think that Maybe it's some mental therapy or some emotional therapy because you really do get to tie a lot of knots, you know, untie a lot of knots. And when you start to untie those knots, a lot of memories open up. 
And then you start to realize, oh, this is why. So it's not the memory of breaking you down more. It's the memory of opening up and understanding why. Like, oh, this is why that not there. Oh, way easier. And then in future life, when it happens to you again, I know how to work through that process. You know, so for me, it's been really um, alleviating. It leaves, alleviates a lot of burden and pain and mad for me, you know, mm-hmm. to be able to untie those and learn and then have these experiences with cops and not be so mad this time. Give them a different look, you know. So it's, it's all learned process, I guess. Happening so fast for me, though. Like, a, like this, since we started JDSF. Uh-huh. It's Interesting. Really, yeah. Since, yeah. I, it's, I think a lot of it is to do when you're out there in the forest for hours by yourself because you really do talk to yourself, you know? Eventually, you start talking. You're out there by yourself enough. And, I, and I'm able to work through things and then tell stories in my head and tell them out loud. Then I'm laughing to them, you know? And then after I cried, probably, oh, that's probably what it is. Because when you're out there in the forest, you can, I cry a lot out there. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's an, yeah, it's another place where you're where you're not alone in that. Like I when I'm feeling really blue, which is a lot these days because the news is heavy. What's going on heavy. is heavy and climate reality is heavy. And, you know, it's hard. And we're coming out of this pandemic and there's just all this stuff coming. I think we're coming out of it or at least the trauma of the two and a half years. And it's like there's just a lot. And so I find myself going to the woods a lot and needing to go to the woods. So I, I, I definitely identify with what you're talking about. Yeah, I was just came to this conclusion. I think I used to and I see others get mad before they get sad. Yeah, And that's why people fight, because they get mad before sad. And if people could not get mad and just be sad, you know, like have a, a sad response and just understand that's okay. It's okay. It's a sad, that, that, that's a sad moment, you know? It's okay. Just once you get out of that moment, you know, there's a lot of enough sad days coming, so you can just get out of it and then try to better your life and just get moving and enjoy the days that are good. That's kind of where I'm at, you know, because the low ones are coming no matter what. So I'll take them when they get here. But I, I think now that I'm able to not get mad and get sad first, it helps me want to tell the story more. When you're mad, you don't want to tell it. I you know, I'm, I'm very upset when I'm mad. It's a different mad. And so, but when I'm um, sad, I've learned to tell the story when I'm sad, but not mad. I can't think when I'm mad. Yeah. Wow. We better do this, JDS. We're going to change this to working on tribal chairman hunter. That's what we'll call it. (laughs) (laughs) The social experiment. You come to our world. I feel like I found your guys' world, too. Hey, it's not that bad out here, Avila Beach. I'll do this. You know? Yeah. So maybe you can just give a quick update on where we're at. And then I'll try to carry over a little bit. I have to be a little bit careful what I say, so I might be hesitant with some words because I don't want to say something that was confidential that I shouldn't have. Right, because you're literally in negotiations with the state right now about co-management at Jackson Demonstration State Forest. Is that right? Yes, and we have the California Natural Resources Agency Secretary Crowfoot is at the table, and that's big for us. That's huge. That means we have the number one person listening on the regulatory side of things. And then we have the deputy, Jessica Morse, I think it's her last name. She's 
she's engaging. It took us a while to get her engaged, but she's starting to engage. And then we have Geneva Thompson, who is the tribal advocate for uh, tribes, I guess. I don't know. We're still trying to figure that out. But uh, she's at the table, so that's important. That's my direct contact to uh-huh. get information out. And then you have Joe Tyler, who's the chief of Cal Fire. So he's there. So he's engaged. Then you have the deputy, which is Chris Anthony. Now, the deputy, he's the deputy for, there's two deputies in Cal Fire. And Chris Anthony's the deputy for the forestry side. Right. There's no deputy for, Cal, for the firefighting side yet. I don't believe, unless it just got done. <clears throat> but this is the forestry side of Cal Fire, and that's, and that's Chris Anthony. And then you have Matthew Reichman, who's the third star. He seems to be the one that um, does a lot of uh, trying to build consensus, it seems. And, he, and I think, I don't think he was engaged at first, but I think he is now up to date to this day. So. And he's the head of the demonstration forest side? No, you have Conway, who is very, very low on the hierarchy uh-huh. and conway is the one that just you know <clears throat> cut whatever trees the largest cut whatever trees the straightest let's get maximized profit so i could be a hero when i go back so look i budgeted all this for you guys i budgeted our department you know through taking all the trees and the resources out of mendocino county so i could fund the whole forestry budget of california think about that oh my god we're allowing them to extract our resources to pay for the budget of Cal Fire Forestry. They're supposed to manage the forest, not cut it. But they have to cut it to support themselves. Yeah. Right, to build decks in China. But, but, now we have a different group of people there. The group I just named, they seem to be empathetic to me. But how do you rewrite the wrong? How do you say, yes, I was wrong, so you don't get, but without getting sued, right? So they're, they're, but I, but I think they're engaged. I feel good about it. So that's why I have to be careful on what I say. Uh-huh. And I, I think you already know. Why don't you go forward with what you're saying, and I'll try to fill it in on the native side after you're done. Right. That sounds good. Okay, so there's a couple of pieces of news with Jackson's demonstra- Demonstration State Forest and what's happening out there. Um, of course, the whole thing sort of became extremely prominent and contentious over a year ago when um, Cal Fire tried to go in and log at Casper 500, which is a 500-acre a timber harvest plan right in the heart of the community of Casper along Casper Creek. That's when the tree sits went up at the, the Mama Tree and at Gemini Tree a little bit later in the, in the year and protesters of course blockaded the logging that was going on out there and and cal fire eventually uh stopped it um so and and so since then there's been like michael was saying uh, a lot of negotiations to try to figure out what to do so there were four timber harvest plants that were active and that ha- have been um, basically put on hold. There was the Casper 500, there was a t- timber harvest plant at Soda Gulch, at Red Tail, and at Chamberlain Creek. And uh, uh, Casper 500 was shut down within days, so not very much work happened out there. But in Soda Gulch, Red Tail, and Chamberlain Creek, a lot of trees were fallen. So just recently, um, at the beginning of the month, Mary Callahan of the Press Democrat reported that um, that they're getting ready to go back in, that logging crews are going to go back into Chamberlain Creek and take out the trees that have already been 
cut. So there's not, not going to be any new road building. There's not going to be any new logging, but the, they're going to take out the trees that were already cut in Chamberlain Creek. And so that, um, I've been told by, uh, coalition members, the, uh, from the coalition to save Jackson State that, um, those trees are actually even already stacked in log decks. So in Chamberlain Creek, they are, um, you know, they're, they're in a, in a place where the trees are, they're just going to drive in and, and load them onto trucks. And apparently it's about a hundred truckloads worth. Now, KZYX News did take a special trip out to this plan at Chamberlain Creek to, to look at it because it was reported to us that there was hack and squirt out there and that the, the oaks had been, and the hardwoods had been hack and squirted with the, um, per herbicides sprayed in to kill the trees where they stood and we did find that there's a lot of hack and squirt out on the on this plan um, and a lot of just really ugly uh, cleared areas a lot of evidence of herbicide use out there um, so this is you know f- this was a real reality check for for us at KZYX to see what is really going on out there and what Cal Fire is claiming versus what what you can see um, going on um, so but the work according to Mary Callahan the work and the rest of the Harvest plans remains on hold during the ongoing negotiations that, that you are having with the state, Michael, and that Senator Mike McGuire has weighed in and says that he um, is expecting the new mission uh, for them to transition to a new mission out of Jackson State that's focused on climate mitigation and wildfire resilience. So as far as we know, no trees have been cut since the end of January. There was also news um, this summer that CAL FIRE withdrew three new harvest plants that were very controversial, uh, a plan out by the Mendocino Woodlands, um, a plan at Mitchell Creek, and a plan, a logging plan at Boundary Creek. So they were all withdrawn and will not be going forward. So that's the news um, with the state of the logging out there. I wasn't able to confirm if the operations at Chamberlain Creek have happened if uh, Cal Fire's logging crews have gone in to take out those trees. No one's been able to tell me that yet, but um, maybe we can uh, ask, you know, if anybody knows if the Chamberlain Creek uh, hauling operations have started. Um, So that's one piece of news. Any comments about that, Michael? Well, you know, here's where I'm disappointed in wood and and mcguire again because they don't never mention they say they're pro-indian they're they're pro this pro that right, pro right, co-management right. and they never mention once we're waiting for the co-management deal right that the board of forestry has but our local guys can't that tells you where they're at they don't want to offend their friends and i'm okay with that but you it's frustrating because I just say, obviously, my tribe isn't represented in this county by our state senator and assemblyman. But that, that frustrates me because that was an opportunity for the public, too, because he could have co-signed with Board of Forestry to make it more leverage. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. You know, right now we say we're going to finish our negotiations before we start logging. And that's the agreement between uh, myself, Crowfoot, and Joe Tyler. That's the agreement. So I agree with that to an extent where... Where, where we all agree that until we come together, we're not going to move forward. But we're still trying to find these remedies and these THPs to figure out how the state can move forward with the local mills, 
so you know they could get a little bit of peace or, and continue <clears throat> doing what they're doing, but just never come back, kind of thing. But doing in a scientific way. Just kind so of finish up on the plans they that. already have. Right, right. And there's two different things here, and people don't understand, and I'm not sure the state understands. Is you have co-management. Co-management means decision-making authorities, and then you have tribal consultation process. That that's that's like a stakeholder, like JAG. You can make all the comments you want, but they don't have to accept any, right? And Cal Fire's already proved they haven't even accepted JAGs, their own local community committee they have. You know, so right. So that's another part of this update is that the JAG, which is the Jackson Advisory Group, they're like you said, an advisory group. They're not. Um, they're not. It, they don't have any say in what happens out there other than, hey, you know, hey, Cal Fire, we think you should do this. Um, and they're where the public can come in and, and come to these meetings as well. And they're meeting this Friday uh, from 9 to 4 out at the Camp 1 day use area, which is over uh, six miles east of Fort Bragg on Highway 20. Um, and they're going to tour a couple of previous timber harvest plans, the Bear Gulch timber harvest plan and the Parlance 17 timber harvest plan, which have already been cut. They're going to take people out there to look at what was done. But they also, one of the things um, that has been announced by CAL FIRE in preparation for this JAG meeting on Friday is that they've got um, a proposal, I guess, or a plan that to um, to change the way that they deal with active logging plans. So they call it the mod- modification of active plans. Now, it's not quite clear where where what process gave rise to these changes but so the the four main ones are that they're not going to cut any trees over 48 inches uh, at at the base so any of those big trees 48 inches is a pretty hefty tree uh, but that 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 that's going to be their limit they're not going to cut anything over 48 inches they're going to um, enhance existing sacred site protections, and I don't know what enhance sacred site protections means, but uh, cultural sites. They're going to um, apply this potential enduring tree strategy to um, to their logging plans, which means they're going to leave some tiny number, two to four um, large uh, trees per acre uh, when they're when they're approaching logging plans and they um number four is they're going to ensure the removal of slash piles across all the areas of jackson state and and especially the high use areas so right now you go to places that have been logged and you see these crazy huge like the size of a house slash piles that have just been left there indefinitely so part of this modification is to ensure that those slash piles get removed so that's sort of the second part of the update is is some of the you know conversation or proposals this is the direction where um, cal fire is talking about modifying their approach to logging out in jackson demonstration state forest yeah and we you know at 48 inches still isn't um, small enough those are big those are huge you know? yeah yeah we, we need we, we should probably think in which ones are fire resistant resilient if they're fire resilient they should probably stay you got to focus on the ones that aren't you know so we we can't fall we you know the 48 inches it's a big deal to them because it changes a lot it, it decreases a lot of their revenue but it's not an environmental sound way to do it yet. And that's our job. So we're get, you know, they're agreeing to some things, and, and we have to appreciate them for when they do offer us these things because they're big concessions to them, mm-hmm. you know. And as long as they have the same goal of getting down to utilizing our forests or demonstrating our forests 
to be an environmental friendly forest and or ecological forest so we could do proper testing but not for funding you know yeah the know. thing about just, just like out loud, tree by tree the solution is like you're talking about an ecosystem out there and it, that's one of the things that you know cal fire doesn't talk about the ecosystem the forestry side of cal fire they don't they they don't deal with the forest health. There's not even. I listened to an interview with Teresa Schollers on um, on the Ecology Hour, and she's talking about how the areas haven't even been inventoried. They don't even know what's out there. Not to mention the fact that these areas have all been logged historically. Um, you know that 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 the original primeval forest that was out there is gone. So we don't even really have the information to know what this forest needs to recover, you know? And right, so going right. through like tree by tree and using like notations on inches of diameter or breast height, that's one way, but it's not a, a sort of grounded in science and, and ecosystem science and understanding how the forest functions, you know, that's, that's a different, more holistic view that Cal is not using. Right, right. And, it, and it's in their writing. So they're telling you how they're going to log less harmful. They're not telling you how we're going to restore right. the forest. Yeah. They spend all the money, all the time, energy on logging. It's 100%. If you read their language, they're telling you how we're going to log less harmful. That's all they're telling us. They're not, there's not one one piece going we are going to commit to you know maybe find 10 of the top areas that they destroyed and we're going to restore them and this is how we're going to do it what the reason they can't share that information because it's not even a thought on their mind to restore the damaged areas not even a thought it's just how can we cut less harmful in the future in their own writing it's because they're great at fighting fires they're not good at managing forests and most definitely not good at restoring a forest. You know, you have to have a whole different mindset. You can't have the mindset of how can I log less harmful and still think that you're going to give the same amount of passion and energy into how am I going to restore this? I have two conflicting, two different people. It's wild to me still. Yeah, well, isn't that why you guys are talking about rewriting the Jackson demonstration uh, forest plan like the mandate of the of the place like right now that's what the mandate says is that it's there to log but that's why you're talking about having a moratorium and negotiating for a different mandate at jackson demonstration state forest and ultimately until that happens this is going to be the kind of concessions that they're making well we'll log but we'll just leave the trees that you guys seem to like the most right and that's why we have to be in position to where we could be drafters of the new forest management plan. Now, make comments, and that's why I say this co-management decision-making. Decision-making means I get to say what, I get to partake in what draft even goes out for comment. Tribal consultation process, that means I'm a stakeholder. I get their draft. I make comments on their draft. That's not, that's the difference. I'm, I'm not the type of person that, I've never seen, I've never seen, um, People change their life's work because I wrote a comment. <laughs> Not yet, anyways, you know. So for me, I know for a fact, you can't change your ways if if the only authorities we have is the comment. Jag, that already exists with Jag. I already have that. It's just a shorter window. This is a more defined window. 
So we have to make sure that we, as a community, take the lead. Mendocino County, I don't understand why you guys are so engaged. Mendocino County, Inland especially, we need to get engaged because this is our opportunity to literally change the forest forest management plan of JDSF. We're in that. That's the seat I'm sitting in. That's the, that's the stance we're at. That's the opportunity we have to be able to change what is happening out there. This has never been happening before. They've never, ever stopped logging unless activists get out there and force them to. Well, this time, the activists got out there and forced them to, but the people at the table want solutions. Back in the day, the people at the table didn't want solutions, but these people do. And I think we have to tell the solution. I think that's what I'm doing. I think that's what my partner's doing and the people that are helping me and our team working on this and trying to make sure that we're always ahead. We're always in front of the, I call it the game, you know. We're yeah. in front of it. We're leading the game. We have the ball at all times, you know. That's my thing. And I always say this, that when I leave the negotiation tables, I tell them, if there comes a time when you, Cal Fire and Resources, need to walk away from our negotiations, just let me know, and I'll be okay with it. And because, and I tell them, because I will always offer solutions for the next meeting, because I believe that when you're fighting for the environment, when you're fighting for the forest, it's all, it's all righteous, and it's all 100% truth. So all I got to do is stay on the science level of trying to always say, yeah, but does it make sense environmentally to do this? Does it make sense environmentally to do that? And that's once you keep asking that, it makes it harder and harder for them to continue to want to do the stuff that's less harmful. You know, so all we right. have to. We, it's our time. Well, we've got about sorry. four minutes left. You're you're great. No, sorry. Um, <laughs> I just have a question, and the question is: yeah. when you're talking about solutions, so your solution, the proposal is tribal co-management. Could you talk a little bit more about what that looks like and why you think it's a solution? I think co-management gives the tribe and the tribes around us, if they want to participate, um, the opportunity to go restore that land that needs to be restored because. We could get government dollars from the federal side. And when, we, when, we, when we're spending all of our time um, doing the force management plan, we could be spending a lot of our time restoring right now as well. We don't have to wait to finish this document to restore the property. You know, so for us, we want to get out there and start healing that property. That's our goal. And the only way we could do that is by co-management, which means we get to go and say, hey, we have this agreement with the state, federal dollars, so we get this money to restore this area. It is the largest you know, demonstration state force, and it has unique trees, redwoods, you know. So can we get the money for this and start working on that? And then we can go work on it. If I'm just a comment period, I have to wait for them to tell me what they're going to do. And they haven't once put out anything saying this is how we're going to restore that land. So what, you know, so I need to have co-manager plans so we can go out there and do it because it doesn't seem like they want to, to be honest. Whenever I ask them about that kind of stuff, they point to their logging plans as being you know, good for the forest. Like you hear the the cry, like log it, ranch it, or watch it burn. Like they seem to believe that taking out all of that biomass and taking out those trees is good for the forest, or at least that's the the spin that they put on it as an industry. Yeah, you, if you just think about it like this, if you walk somewhere where there's a big canopy, a big redwood, underneath it, it's nice and cool. If you walk where they took the big redwood out, underneath it is dry and, and the temperature change very hot to your own body. And you could do that out there in that forest. You could walk literally 
50 yards and be in an area where it's nice and cool, proven. It's already proven. Hey, don't cut the big tree. Look at look at the ground. It's moist. And then you go where they cut the big tree, where they say they're going to multiply the trees. Hot, dry, kindling, dirt. I mean, that's where the lightning hits and just takes off, you know? So yeah. it's, it's common sense. People just, you can't, you can't understand it if you're not going to get out there, you know? Yeah. That's why... I was horrible in science because they're trying to teach it to me in a building. Now I'm getting really good at this stuff, but I'm outdoors and looking at it. A lot easier to learn. It's when you empirical. See it. Well, listen, Michael, we've got about a minute left. Do you want to? Um, do you want to tell people about the demonstration that's coming up? No, you. You probably have the flyer. Oh, um, well, I I actually don't. Uh, it's a uh, August. Okay, I think it's the twenty eighth. Yeah, August twenty eighth. From one to four. And we have a, one of our youth champions, Sarah, who's taking the lead on this. So get out there, support her. I'm going to be there. And we're going to meet. I think you've got to go find a flyer. Find me on Facebook, Michael Hunter. And then I'll post a flyer up there. Do you know where it is? Yeah, it's on. I'm gonna, there's two. There's Fern and 409. Uh-huh. And I think it's on the Fern one. So if I say it, I'm going to mess up. Sorry, I don't have that with me. Okay. Well, um, so there's a, a youth-led rally for Jackson State on the 28th of August coming up. So there'll be more information about that. we got to say bye. But thanks a lot, Michael. Thanks for calling in and, and safe drive home. Thank you. Appreciate you guys. Appreciate you, Alicia. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.